De'Aaron Fox goes crazy with 23 points in the fourth quarter, leading the Sacramento Kings to a 114-106 victory over the Suns in Phoenix to cure our in-season tournament hangovers. There's a reason why fourth quarter Fox is more than just a nickname, and we'll break it all down right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for our first deposit match up to $100. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News. And I don't know about you, but the gap of no Kings games from Monday night when they lost to the New Orleans Pelicans to tonight, that left us way too much time to marinate in the fact that Sacramento lost, right? That they were eliminated from the in-season tournament only to watch the uh, Los Angeles Lakers beat down the Pelicans by 44 points or whatever it was to advance to the championship, to watch Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and the Indiana Pacers defeat the Milwaukee Bucks to punch their ticket to tomorrow's in-season tournament championship. I needed the Kings just to play a game. I needed them to return. Now, of course, a win makes it much easier to, uh, to, to forget about the tournament, to move on and recognize, hey, there's still so much regular season left. Ultimately, the, the goal for the Kings to make it to the playoffs and make it past the first round of the playoffs, that dream uh, or that hope is still very, very much alive for Sacramento. Now that the in-season tournament can be uh, put in the past and, and it will officially be done after Saturday. We can get back to focusing on Kings basketball as we know it, NBA regular season basketball as we know it, and for Sacramento to return with a victory over the Phoenix Suns, 114-106. to 106. Uh, That certainly does a good job of, of curing the uh, leftover in-season tournament hangover that I had. Now, I know there are going to be some people on the Kings side and certainly on the Phoenix Suns side that are going to go, yeah, okay, the Kings beat the Phoenix Suns, but... Kevin Durant didn't play. Bradley Beal didn't play. Bradley has barely played, if at all. I don't even know if Bradley Beal has played yet. Devin Booker did play, but certainly this Phoenix Suns team that the Kings played tonight was not nearly the, the, the Phoenix Suns team that they're capable of being, that their roster suggests that they are, and the Phoenix Suns team that I expect to, when they are able to be healthy, when they are able to play together, if that even happens this season, that's a team that's a very legitimate threat uh, to not only challenge the the Denver Nuggets to win the Western Conference, a threat to win it all with how much talent that they have. So yes, this was not the A version of the Phoenix Suns that the Kings beat tonight. This was also not the A version of the Sacramento Kings that the Suns faced tonight. Sure, their stars were playing. De'Aaron Fox, Demonte Sabonis, Keegan Murray back after some concerns uh, when he re-aggravated his lower back uh, against the New Orleans Pelicans back on Monday. But this version of the Sacramento Kings that we saw tonight was not very good. It was not very sharp. Sacramento was not playing their brand of basketball. They did not look like themselves. If anything, this was a, at best, B-minus performance from the Sacramento Kings. Now, there are certain A grades to give out to individuals, like De'Aaron Fox for his fourth quarter, and some certain players off the bench, some unlikely heroes off the bench, which we're going to take some time to talk about here in just a second. But overall, this was not a good performance 
for the Sacramento Kings. Not nearly as good as they could play. And if you've got the best of the Sacramento Kings taking on a completely healthy uh, Phoenix Suns team, who knows how that matchup would go. Either way, this game still counts as a win. It obviously counts towards the regular season. It's a victory over a divisional opponent, a victory over a team that, uh, I mean, it could end up being a big deal later on down the road when we're looking at playoff seeding and any kind of tiebreaker scenarios. Although I think the Kings and Suns are still going to play each other another four times. So we'll see how everything plays out. But we can remove all excuses of Suns not this or Kings not that or whatever it may be on tonight's night. Two teams that were just eliminated from the in-season tournament met and the road team, the Sacramento Kings, ended up getting the job done. The Kings won this game in the third quarter. Now, De'Aaron Fox went crazy in the fourth, which we're going to get to. But the Kings won this game in the third quarter. The Suns went on a bit of a run. In fact, they, they, they blitzed Sacramento over the final few minutes of the, the second quarter to take a nine-point lead into halftime. And at that point, I was once again going like, what is it about the Kings on extended rest playing so poorly, playing without energy? I don't know what it is with this team. It does not make sense. But going back through all of last year and this year, when the Kings get two or more days of rest in between games, they just don't look like themselves. This team plays better, certainly not on back-to-backs, uh, on back right? We've seen how poorly they've performed on the second night of back-to-back, -back, and they have another one of those coming up early next week. But when this Kings team plays a game and then day off and then the game and then a day off or, or, or like three games in, in, in five or six nights, typically that's where we see Sacramento like in their rhythm kind of playing their best basketball. You give them an extended time, whether it's to get more practice time, to stay healthy, to rest up, whatever it may be, Sacramento just does not respond well and, and never seems to play with good energy out of the gate after extended rest. No idea why that is. That's just the case with the Sacramento Kings team. But they go nine uh, down by nine at halftime. By the end of the third quarter, they're up 11. So that third quarter, they outscored the Suns 33 to 12. Look, anytime the Kings, whether it's a shorthanded team or not, anytime the Kings can hold an NBA opponent to 12 points in a quarter, it's cause for massive celebration, right? And Sacramento's defense has looked better this season, is improved this season statistically, and is able to put together. I mean, this is like the third or fourth time this season that the Kings have held a, an opponent to under 20 points in a quarter. I don't know how many times the Kings did that last year, but most of the time, if it did happen, it was probably because the other team was just shooting terribly and not because the Kings' defense was making that kind of impact. But, I, I mean, I give a lot of credit to the bench guys and Harrison Barnes for how that second quarter, or rather third quarter, went. But we'll talk about that after we talk about De'Aaron Fox in his fourth quarter. Because if the Kings won the game in the third quarter, the fourth quarter was superstar showcase time. Right, the fourth quarter was a De'Aaron Fox show. Now that's not to say that the Suns didn't have any chance of winning this game and coming back in the fourth quarter. I think they got to within six. Like the Suns didn't necessarily go away and Devin Booker was doing what he could to lead that team back. But De'Aaron Fox, who finished with 34 points tonight, including four of seven from three-point range and seven assists, drops 23 points in the fourth quarter, raining down threes left and right with no hesitation, getting to his spots in the mid-range, getting to the rim, getting to the foul line. Fourth quarter, De'Aaron Fox. I mean, he leads the league again in fourth quarter scoring. I don't know if he's a favorite to win the Clutch Player of the Year award again, or if, if, if the NBA does not want to give that award to the same player twice in a row. It's only the second year of its existence. So literally, it's been the De'Aaron Fox Award. And here he is, once again, when games are close, or when it comes to the fourth quarter, the man cannot be stopped. And it's not just 
what he was doing last season, right? Last year, he was getting to his mid-range jumper, getting to his spots on the floor, around the free throw line, elbow jumpers, even like wing jumpers and just knocking them down. Like he, he was that guy that if you sagged off him a little bit, it did not matter because he would just walk up into that spot and drain that shot. Now he's added that three-point shot to his game and he's shooting him with such confidence, knocking him down at a high clip. I think he's around 36%. Uh, at this point, but I'll take 36% shooting from three-point range on eight-plus attempts per game, which is what De'Aaron is doing now versus when he shot, I think, 37% from three-point range a couple of seasons ago on three attempts per game. I've talked about it before. I'll say it again. De'Aaron Fox has established himself now as a three-level scorer, and when he gets going in the fourth quarter the way that he did tonight, and, and, and make no mistake about it, this wasn't De'Aaron waiting until the fourth quarter to get going. He brought 11 points with him into the fourth quarter because he really wasn't playing that well. In the first half, nobody really was playing that well in that starting lineup. Nobody was. Demonis Sabonis, maybe. Like, the, the, the Kings bench was playing pretty solid throughout the, the majority of this night. But De'Aaron Fox, I mean, he was... He was not playing well. He didn't look comfortable, was not necessarily getting to his, his spots, wasn't taking a lot of shots. It comes fourth quarter time. If there's any question, okay, this game might be close or not, I need to shut the door. Okay, I'm going to do it myself. Like, that's how De'Aaron Fox steps up. What we are seeing from De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter is nothing short of special. He is an unbelievably special player. When the game is on the line, when the Kings need someone to take over, this is what De'Aaron Fox shows. He has scored 30 or more points. In eight of the 15 games that he's played, over half of the games that De'Aaron Fox has played this season, he's scoring 30 or more points. Again, what do you need to see from De'Aaron that suggests that he is not at an MVP caliber level yet? What do you need to see? His team is winning basketball games. He's taking over fourth quarters. He's a go-to clutch scorer. He's hitting threes. He's getting to the rim. He's getting not as many foul calls as he should be getting. And, of course, that free throw percentage should, uh, could come up, but it would be nice to see him get to the line as much as other stars in the league do. He's guarding the opposing team's best guards, typically on a nightly basis. What more do you need to see De'Aaron Fox do? It doesn't matter what defenses throw at him. He's breaking it down. He's finding a different level and a different way to score. Th what we're seeing before our eyes, it might not be as flashy as what Tyrese Halliburton does with his 28 points and 16 assists in Indiana. It might not be as dominant as Giannis when he puts up 36 points and he's getting to the rim and dunking on anybody and he's just an unstoppable freak of nature. It might not be LeBron James still making history with his, like, what, 20 points, 10 assists or 10 rebounds, like five assists, five steals. He made history again for, uh, like, the first player to put up that kind of stat line in, like, 20 minutes of action that he did in that in-season tournament game last night. Like, De'Aaron might not be on that much, in that much of a spotlight, but he's still doing MVP caliber things here in Sacramento that consistently leads to winning. This fourth quarter is just another example of that. But also, we need to shout out the bench tonight, right? The Kings had six players finish in double-figure scoring. Three of them came off the bench. Sasha Vizenkov tonight, 14 points, five of seven shooting from the field, two of three from three-point range, three rebounds, two assists, three steals. Sasha's cutting. I know we talked a lot about Sasha's three-point shooting coming into the league, right? And that's what he was known for is that outside shot. And he certainly showcased that. Uh, like I said, he had, had, had two three-pointers in tonight's game. That is, if there's a primary skill for Sasha, that is it. But Sasha is an unbelievable cutter. I think Sasha's, if he's not the best cutter on this Kings team, he's top two, top three. 
Like, he does such a, a good job naturally reading a defense, recognizing when the attention is on De'Aaron or Malik or whichever ball handler he's playing with, or even DeMondis Sabonis, and then he cuts baseline or just finds a lane, gets to the rim, finishes at the rim. He's got a great touch, too, around the rim for being such an amazing three-point shooter. Sasha Vizenkov, like, I watch Sasha play now, and to me, there's no doubt in my mind, like, Sasha is an NBA, NBA player. He's comfortable. He fits. He knows his role. He plays his role. Does he have some nights where he'll play more minutes than, than other nights because he's hitting more shots and making more of an offensive impact? Sure. But even on the defensive end, I'm not here to label Sasha Vizenkov a good defender or a great defender by any means. But I think he's closer to good than he is to terrible or is he is to bad. If, so, if Yeah, let, let's say over here is bad, over here is good. He's trending far more towards the good side than he is the bad side with what he's doing. He's, he's reading and jumping passing lanes to get steals. He's getting deflections, which is one of the major things that the Kings defense likes to track and pay attention to. He's using his feet to stay in front of guys. Does he get blown by and beaten every once in a while? Of course he does. Add him to the list of Sacramento Kings players. He's not a lockdown defender by any means. But Sasha Vizenkov, the main concern that we had with him coming into the league is, are the Kings going to be able to play him consistently? Is he going to be able to hang on the NBA level, on the defensive end, with quicker, more athletic guys that he, quite frankly, just does not face in the Euro scene? As of right now, the answer is yes. So... Sasha Vizenkov, to me, has, has, has silenced the doubts of whether or not he can be a consistent, everyday NBA player. To me, the answer to that question is yes. Now, do you, is he going to play more nights versus other nights because of matchups or things like that? Sure, and I trust Monty McNitt, excuse me, I trust Mike Brown and that Kings coaching staff to game plan correctly and find out the, uh, when to put him in. But if we're talking about just a set, consistent rotation, Sasha has to be a part of it at this point. And that's not because he's taking Trey Lyles' spot. To me, Trey Lyles is just as much a part of that as well. Sasha and Trey and Malik, those are eight. Uh, those are three guys off the bench that I sh think should be playing on a light nightly basis. Then you've got to add Keon Ellis to that. Keon Ellis' journey, I mean, from going undrafted to choosing to, to, to sign with the Sacramento Kings to signing a two-way contract, to then signing his second two-way contract. He plays garbage time minutes in a blowout loss against the Houston Rockets, plays the way that Mike Brown wants him to play, makes the most out of those minutes at the end of the game that nobody was paying attention to, gets an opportunity after that game to play as part of the main rotation, plays well, gets hurt, comes back, earns that spot over Davion Mitchell again. Keon Ellis tonight. 10 points, 4-6 from the field, 2-4 from three-point range, two rebounds. When it wasn't Keegan Murray guarding Devin Booker, it was Keon Ellis. I mean, I, I think it's only a matter of time that Keon's, uh, before Keon's contract is converted into a, a full regular contract for Sacramento. Because as a two-way player, he only has a certain amount of games. And here's the kicker, too. A two-way player cannot play in the playoffs. They have to be converted to a regular contract if they want to play in the playoffs. At this point, unless the Kings add another guard to their roster between now and the trade deadline, or Davion Mitchell really figures it out, which at this point, unfortunately, he hasn't given me really any, any indication that he's going to, the Kings are going to need Keon Ellis in the playoffs. 
as, as of right now. Now, some of you might hear that and go, well, if the Kings need Keon Ellis in the playoffs, they're probably not that great of a team. They're probably not going to go that far. You could be right. All I'm seeing is a player that's making the most of his opportunities. He's taking on some of the toughest defensive assignments, and he's coming off the bench, and he's making an impact as a two-way player. There is almost, I don't know if there's any more that we could realistically ask of Keon Ellis or a player in Keon Ellis's position than what he is providing. And then, of course, Malik Monk off the bench, 13 points, 5 of 10 shooting from the field. Didn't have to go supernova offensively tonight. Hit a couple of threes in the first half to help the Kings kind of get going, but did have six assists off the bench behind De'Aaron's seven assists. So Monk comes in, does what he does, leading that second unit. But three guys off the bench stepping up uh, in a major way. I want to talk about Harrison Barnes. I want to talk about Keegan Murray. Both those guys, some good and some bad tonight. And some conversations we have to have about both of them. Let's have that conversation here in just a second. Before that, though, like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by PrizePix. PrizePix is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. What make, makes prize picks so great is just you versus the prize picks projections. You don't have to worry about playing other players, which of course includes those pros and those sharks out there that literally make a living beating you at something that's supposed to be a, a fun hobby, right? Prize picks takes or, or makes projections on points or rebounds or a combination of points, rebounds, and assists or whatever it may be, and, and they list them for different players, and you pick for two to six players. If you think they're going to be more or less than those projections, you get them right. You can win up to 25 times your money price picks. Like when I tell you almost everybody that I'm around and like in kind of the King scene, so many of us are participating in price picks and having fun with price picks. We have meetings before Kings games sitting on the court during warmups or sitting down below at the dinner table in the media area, having conversations about what are the right prize picks to take for this current Kings game. It's so much fun to play in prize picks, even offers something really cool for both you basketball and football fans on a Thursday night, a Sunday, a Monday, whatever it may be. You can do a combination of a, a football player and a, and a base or a basketball player. For example, you could take like LeBron James and uh, Travis Kelsey, 10 and a half, uh, field goals made or receptions, right? So if Travis Kelsey gets six receptions and uh, LeBron James hits five shots and you took, the, uh, you took the more on that, congratulations, you're a winner. That's just one of the really creative and fun ways that you can play at PrizePix. So go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, let's talk about Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray. Two different conversations around the two starting wings for Sacramento. It is more than fair to say at this point that the biggest weakness positionally for Sacramento is the wing. And it's not because Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes are the worst players on the team. No, it also has to do with the fact that the Kings lack overall NBA caliber wing depth. They do. And this has been a problem for the Kings for a long time. This is nothing new. Wing depth in Sacramento has always been difficult. Typically, the Kings will have one really good wing, if that, right? They'll have the Ron Artests or the, the Rudy Gays or now the, 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 the Harrison Barnes or Keegan Murray. The fact that the Kings have two, I think, solid wings, one with a tremendous upside in Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes, who is a starting caliber wing, like that's, that's pretty good for Sacramento. But still... 
that wing position is ultimately underperforming. Now let's talk about Harrison Barnes for a second here because the conversation I want to have about Barnes is a little different than the conversations that we've been having recently. Over the last week, we've talked about, hey, Harrison, it might be time for the Sacramento Kings to consider upgrading that position. I've wavered on that a little bit because I've been pretty consistent here on Locked on Kings going back through the offseason and last year of believing in Harrison, thinking he's right for that position. And I do still feel that Harrison is, is better for this Kings team than what he's showing. Harrison tonight, nine points, three of 11 shooting from the field, eight rebounds, which you love. You will take eight rebounds from Harrison Barnes any night of the week. And honestly, eight rebounds shouldn't be a once in a while thing for Harrison. Like, I think five should be the average, and eight should be every, every few games. Harrison's more than capable of that, especially with him not being featured as a go-to scorer. He also had two assists and a steal. I want to start by giving Harrison some credit, because he was part of the slow Sacramento Kings start from all the starters. The Kings were not shooting the ball well out of the gate. The energy was low. Harrison was a part of that. On the defensive end, he was getting blown by. Like, Harrison didn't look great again. But that third quarter, when the Kings made their big push to create separation and go up by 11 points. As the bench was shining, Sasha Vizenkov, Keon Ellis, Malik Monk playing really well. Harrison Barnes was out there with him, and Harrison had four points, four rebounds, two assists, was a plus 17 in that third quarter. Harrison was a big part of that Kings lineup that helped not just get the Kings back from down nine, but helped them build a lead. So I give Harrison a ton of credit for that. I want to make sure that's pointed out first and foremost before we have the conversation about HB that I want to have. Another thing that I've been really consistent with with Harrison over his entire time here in Sacramento is that he's a starter. Harrison is a starting three or a starting four. He is absolutely a starter. My arguments for that have always been like his veteran presence. He's been on a championship team before. He's been on successful teams. He knows how to hold down the position. God, if he's not reliable, right? He, play, he's played, he played every single game in the playoffs last year. So far this year, knock on wood, he's played every single game for the Sacramento Kings. He's reliable. He's clearly well-liked and respected as a locker room presence and a locker room leader. Like, there are so many reasons why having Harrison as an everyday starting three is not a bad thing. Unless you're trying to make that next leap. And while the Kings are trying to trend up, De'Aaron Fox certainly trending up. Keegan Murray, to some extent, is trending up, at least on the defensive end. Kevin Herter has improved and is trending up. DeMondis Sabonis has kind of been up and down, but for the most part, DeMondis Sabonis is on a high level. Here's Harrison Barnes as that fifth starter that has been average to below average. He had that one great game to start the year, and from that point, he's just kind of been meh. And, of course, we know that he disappears in big games, unfortunately, too many times. So I've never wavered on the question of should the Sacramento Kings start somebody over Harrison? And I'm still convinced that as of right now, there's not a better starting option than Harrison at that spot. But maybe we should start having that conversation a little bit. Putting that together, what does that look like? And is it Sasha Vizenkov or is it Trey Lyles? Those are the only two viable options for me. If you even consider replacing Harrison Barnes in the starting lineup, if you want to see what Barnes looks like on the bench, to me, those are the only two options. Some of you might say, Malik Monk at the two, move Kevin Herter to the three. I think that's a disaster. As, as, as much as Kevin has improved as a defender, having, asking Kevin to guard threes and sometimes fours, because remember, Harrison Barnes is essentially guarding the guy that Keegan Murray's not guarding on the wing, or even as a two guard, right? So 
Let's say that happens. Let's say Keegan Murray is playing the four. Kevin Herter moves down to the three. Let's say Keegan Murray is not defending the four. He's defending the other team's three because that is their best player. You want to move Kevin Herter down to guard that, number, that four? That's a defensive mismatch the entire night. I don't like the idea. Plus, you know how much I like the idea of Malik Monk coming off the bench. I'm not a fan of moving Kevin Herter to the three. I just don't think it's necessary. I just don't think it'll work, especially with Kevin Herter's got a good thing going as the starting two right now. I don't want to really mess that up and, and ask him to change again or ask him to figure out again when he did so much figuring out to start this season. And I'm uh, like some people might say Kessler Edwards too. I'm out on Kessler Edwards. Like I understand Kessler might be the best perimeter defender at the wing position that this Kings team has right now, but Kessler Edwards makes zero impact on the offensive end. Opposing defenses can muddy the paint and clog the lane when Kessler Edwards is out there because he's proven he has he's not able to consistently knock down the three. Look, if Mike Brown is not able to find consistent minutes for Kessler Edwards, with how much of a pro-defensive mindset Coach Brown is because of Kessler's impact on the offensive end, if Mike isn't seeing enough, then we're certainly not going to see enough. So to me, it's Sasha Vizenkov or Trey Lyles. Let's talk about Sasha really quick. We move Sasha in to the starting line. Sasha starts at the three. Or maybe you move Sasha and he starts at the four and you move Keegan Murray to the three. I have questions about if Keegan can be successful at the three position. He's played basically a four his entire career. But really, the wing position is more interchangeable than it used to be. It's not like a small forward and a power forward really anymore. A three or four is a wing and is based off of size and who you're defending. Well, Keegan's already defending the two through the four on any given night. So I don't see a reason why Keegan at the three couldn't work. So really with both Trey Lyles and, and, and Sasha Vazenkov, it, it's kind of pick your poison. To me, I think it makes most sense for both of them that Keegan is the three in that lineup. But if Sasha's out there, he certainly helps space the floor. Maybe he's more of a three-point threat than Harrison is. I do think because of Harrison being a veteran, he's more steady and he understands more what his role is in that lineup. But I, I mean... Mike Brown said after the loss to the Pelicans on Monday that he's not drawing up any plays for Harrison. And Harrison has a tough job of trying to make his impact on the offense without having plays drawn up for him. I got to figure out, and I, I want to find out how much the Kings are drawing up plays for a Sasha Vizenkov or a Trey Lyles. Because if the answer is neither of them are having plays drawn up for them, but they're still able to, like Sasha's still able to make the offensive impact that he made tonight. Now he's not going to score 14 points a night. But can Sasha give you 9 to 12 or 9 to 11 points a night, space the floor, knock down a few threes, make some solid backdoor cuts, and defensively not be a liability? I think he can do that. Now, do I think Harrison Barnes is overall a better defender than Sasha? Yes. Has he shown it? Probably not, or not as consistently as we'd like to see. In terms of on-ball defense, I do trust Harrison more than I trust Sasha, but I think Sasha makes and has made more defensive plays this year than Harrison has. Sasha has also done that more against second unit players while Harrison is typically playing and guarding the starters. So, I again, and it's kind of the same thing with Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles spaces the floor. Trey Lyles is a better rebounder than, than Harrison is defensively. I still give Harrison the nod, but if, if your argument is, yeah, Matt, you may feel more comfortable with Harrison as a defender over both Sasha and Trey, but Harrison isn't showing us anything on the defensive end that that suggests that it would be better than the offensive impact of Sasha or Trey. If you're making that argument, that's why I'm starting to waver. I'm starting to listen to that. I'm starting to feel that a little bit. I'm picking up what you're putting down. 
if the Kings had or went out and got a better wing option that I felt was more ready and more capable of staking, stepping into the starting lineup right now and taking Harrison Barnes' spot, I'd have no issue with that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Sacramento Kings are looking for that. Hell, the Stockton Kings are making trades right now trying to acquire wings just to add some wing depth. So clearly they're concerned about that position. I don't think anybody that the Stockton Kings acquire is, is a threat to take Harrison's starting job. But the Kings are looking for some help at that position, obviously. I'm still not sold that anybody on this roster would be a better everyday starting three than Harrison Barnes is. But again, if Harrison continues to disappear in big games and continues to just kind of be average to below average on both sides of the ball, yeah, I'm going to start looking at impactful players like Sasha or Trey. Throw them in there and just see what it looks like. Is Harrison off the bench good? Or is it bad? Well, Harrison with the, the, the bench players in the third quarter tonight, it looked pretty solid. Maybe that's just a one-game sample size. I don't know. But I'm willing to have that conversation, so I'm sure you want to weigh on that in on that. You can, of course, on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. You can email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com, and leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. want to talk about Keegan Murray real quick, too. No question that Keegan Murray is a starter, right? And I'm not questioning at all about Keegan Murray and his ability still to be uh, that, that, that third leading scorer for the Sacramento Kings and, and the third part of a big three. Is Keegan struggling offensively this season? Absolutely he is. At no point really, with the exception of maybe a good quarter or two, has Keegan looked like the guy that he was for Sacramento last season, especially from the perimeter. His perimeter shooting is down. Keegan tonight, 13 points, 6 of 13 from the field, but 1 of 7 from three-point range, 4 rebounds, 1 steal. The bulk of Keegan, uh, Keegan's minutes tonight, he was guarding Devin Booker. For context, Devin Booker had 28 points on 10 of 14 shooting plus 7 assists. Devin Booker still got his. So, while I don't think Keegan did a bad job on Booker, just like I don't think Keon Ellis did a bad job on Booker, Booker still got his points. With a player like that, with a star like that, Mike talks about all you're trying to do is just make it as difficult for them as possible. You're not stopping them, but trying to make it difficult for them. I think if that's the goal, then I think both Keegan and Keon accomplished that. Keegan is clearly the guy that Mike Brown and the Kings feel most comfortable throwing at the best team's opposing ring, uh, wing or two guard at this point. It's awesome for, for Keegan to have developed into that as a second-year player. Defensively, I was not expecting him to make that leap. But the question that I have is this. If Keegan is going to step into that defensive kind of go-to defender, like he's the main guy on defense that, that's marking up the best player that's essentially not a point guard or a center on the opposing team. If Keegan is that guy, is it going to continue to have a negative impact on his offensive output? Because 20 games into the season, okay, maybe it's not as big of a deal, especially when you have Malik Monk, who's really emerged as the third leading scorer for the Sacramento Kings. And at times, he's the second leading scorer behind De'Aaron Fox. So maybe right now you can kind of get away with it. But I'm thinking going forward. I'm thinking for the future. I'm thinking a playoff series, right? If Keegan Murray is going to struggle as much as he is from three-point range tonight, even if he is the guy that you feel comfortable, let's say the Kings face the Golden State Warriors again. Okay, Keegan Murray is the, th the guy that you're throwing at probably Andrew Wiggins. So maybe he's making Andrew Wiggins work, but where would, the King, where would the Kings have been in that series? And where would the Kings be in another series with the Warriors, or most teams for that matter, without the 15 points a night that he's capable of putting up, without the three-point shooting that opens up the floor and opens up spacing for Fox and Sabonis and Monk and those other guys to work? Keegan has time. Right, and I, I think 
what does this look like 40 to 60 games into the season? Does he figure out, okay, I can make this impact on the defensive end, and I'm used to this ex energy that I'm exerting now, so offensively now I know how to get mine. If that's the case, then great. But what we're seeing is a player who's being asked to do a lot on the defensive end of the floor, and his offense is suffering because of it. As of right now, that's what we're seeing. Early in the season, that's a little more acceptable. But if we're still having this conversation in March and April, I don't know if the Kings are ready, if Keegan is ready to take on that defensive assignment as much as he is. Because Keegan can be a solid defender. We're seeing that. Keegan's not going to be a lockdown defender by any means. And I don't believe that sacrificing so much of who Keegan is on the offensive end for him to be a solid defender is good enough for Sacramento to get to where they want to go this year. Maybe in future years, if they have other defensive help or other offensive help that they go on and get, sure. I'm, if, if the Kings have this version of Keegan Murray, who's a solid defender, but who has to work to get 13 points, which is, I think, what he had tonight, right? Yeah, to work to get 13 points, I think the Kings are in trouble more often than they're in good shape. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. I know normally we come to sports to escape the chaos and, and the struggles of our day-to-day -day life, right? But let's talk for a minute about preparing for life. Right now, according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. That's a scary thing. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than my son Arthur or my wife being sick at home or even me being sick and trying to battle through it and take care of the, the things in my daily life, but I don't have access to the antibiotics and the things that I need to get healthy or to make my, my loved ones healthy. Thankfully, my family's okay because we have Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics uh, that come and treat a list of bacterial illnesses and infections, including UTIs, respiratory infections, uh, sinusitis, skin infections, among other things. This stuff can happen to any of us. We're talking about common issues, not major things that, that leave you hospitalized every time. Visit JaceMedical.com. Complete your physical or your rather your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important than to be prepared as of today. So go to jacemedical.com and use offer code locked on to get $20 off of your order. Before we wrap up, got to give some love to Demonda Sabonis, too. This is just a really solid Sabonis stat line. This is a solid Sabonis stat line that, that I think we take for granted, and I think a lot of people around the league take for granted. Well, they certainly undermine, right? 15 points, 6 of 11 shooting from the field, 17 rebounds, and 5 assists. Only one player in the league has more 15-15 games than Sabonis. Guess who? Nikola Jokic. Right, Demonis Sabonis uh, has had a double-double in all but like three or four, even I think it's less than that, all but three games this season Sabonis has had a double-double in. That's just what he does. I've gone into plenty of rants. Don't need to go back into why uh, he should not be ignored or should not be written off as much as he is. And I'm steering far away from the Sabonis-Tyrese Halliburton conversation because that conversation is tired and played out and it does not matter anymore, right? We know what it is. The Kings are very happy with Sabonis. The Pacers are obviously very happy playing in the uh, in-season tournament championship game with Tyrese Halliburton. That conversation doesn't even need to be brought up more than I just did right now. 
If this is what you're getting on a nightly basis from DeMondis Sabonis and how he can make an impact on a game and also get out of the way when De'Aaron Fox is going crazy with 23 points in the fourth quarter, this is exactly what you want out of your starting center. If you take DeMondis Sabonis' name out of it, and I were to tell you that consistently you were getting 13 points and, uh, excuse me, you were getting 15 points and 17 rebounds. No, he's not pulling down 17 boards every single night, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for Sabonis at all. If I were telling you that every single night, basically, you were getting a double-double without fail, if I were telling you that you were getting a center who was giving you 15 and 15, second only to two-time MVP Nikola Jokic, who may be well on his way to his third MVP, we'd all be fine with that. I think we've gotten used to how great Sabonis is and how solid Sabonis is and these numbers that he can put up. We've gotten used to the presence that Domas is on a nightly basis to where these aren't as impressive. These stat lines aren't imp as impressive as they should be because he's done them so many times before already in just the season and some change, almost two seasons now. Once we get to the trade deadline, believe it or not, it'll only be two seasons that Demontis Sabonis has been here. And yet over the course of those two seasons, this is what Sabonis has done more often than not. Like we take Sabonis for granted in Sacramento. And if we take him for granted a little bit, you sure as hell know that writers and media members and, 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 and commentators and fans around the league certainly don't give him the respect uh, that he is due. Next week is a busy week for the Kings. So after having uh, four days off, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, no, three days off, and then their win tonight, they now have a couple more days off. They're back to action on Monday when they host the Brooklyn Nets. After that, lucky Kings. They get the Los Angeles Clippers again on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, except this time, it's in L.A. If you remember, the Kings played the uh, Los Angeles Clippers on the second night of a back-to-back -back, like a, a week and a half ago, and the Clippers kicked their butt. So will this third try to second night of a back-to-back -back go better for the Kings? We'll have to wait and see with that. Afterwards, they return home. They host the Oklahoma City Thunder, who beat the Golden State Warriors tonight. And then that's on, uh, that's on Thursday. And then on Saturday, they host the Utah Jazz. Four games next week. Four very winnable games. The biggest question mark is that second night of a back-to-back -back against the Clippers. But if at least those three home games, the Kings go 3-0 over this home stretch. That's something that you would love to see for this Kings team. Something that's not out of the realm of possibility. Something that might even be an expectation for you. So we'll see how they do. Of course, I'll be in the Golden One Center for all of those games. I'll have post-game episodes for every single one of these games. I'm very interested to see how the Kings look uh, in that second night of a back-to-back -back against the Clippers. Uh, if you're going to any of those games, hit me up and let me know. I would love to see you in the Golden One Center and say hi to you. You can do me a favor for this podcast and, and leave a review. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts, hit five stars. There's a custom area there for you to leave uh, like a one or two sentence review for the podcast. It helps us out a ton. So if you could please do that if you haven't already, I really appreciate that. For those of you who have been spend, sending me your Spotify wraps with Locked on Kings is one of your top podcasts. I appreciate you so much, too. On Spotify, you can't leave a custom review, but you can hit five stars there. Uh, that, that, that's a big help. And then those of you watching on YouTube, stay active. Uh, hit that notification bell. Hit the thumbs up. Subscribe. Uh, our YouTube numbers have been fantastic, and I'm really appreciative of that. Kings win 114-106. to 106. They're back in the win column. A beam is lit, and they're 1-0 this season against the Phoenix Suns. Regardless of the circumstances, we'll take that any time. Hey, fourth quarter Fox goes crazy. We're all going crazy here in Sacramento watching that. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.